pray that today, as Seth just brings your word, we would give him your words to say, that we may be attentive, learn something from it, grow closer to you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Great. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate the enthusiasm there. All right, perfect. Thank you, Tony. Good deal. All right, how are, how are y'all? How are y'all doing this morning? Good, 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 good. Um, I hope I do really well today because I really want that preacher award for my sparky vest. It'd be awesome. Very, very awesome. Um, if if any guys were, were able to come yesterday to the men's prayer breakfast, that was so good. It, was, you know, it is so good to see men of the church come together and pray. Like That is just an amazing thing. But I think something that comes in second place is seeing men come to the church and eat. It is an amazing thing to watch. And there was some really good food, some great breakfast food. So it was, it was good, very, very good. Aaron Sink was the one who kind of spearheaded all that, and he did a great job putting that together. And I, actually, as we were cleaning up, he, he asked me, he said, um, so, so I hear you're preaching tomorrow morning. So what are you preaching on? Jesus? I said, well, actually, yes, I am. Preaching on Jesus. As specifically, very specifically, I'm preaching on Jesus. So if you have your Bibles today, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Now you may be wondering why in the world I'm preaching a Christmas message in the middle of summer, or beginning of summer. Um, it's not even Christmas in July yet. It's not even July yet. I can't even do that yet. So we're actually, we're actually not going to look at those specific passages. We're going to look at another one. That's, it's, it's a really cool passage. Um, it is really the only glimpse that we get into Jesus' pre-adolescence before he becomes a man. He's, he's 12 years old in this passage. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And, you know, something, a majority of my ministry here at Farmington is, is um, doing ministry with the teens. And I'm always pushing them to look to Jesus as your example. I mean, he is, he is the ultimate one. That's who we need to have our eyes on is Jesus as our example. But there's not a lot of time, not a, there's not a lot of uh, scripture that actually talks about Jesus' early years. But this is one of them. This is one of those passages, and it's really cool. It's really cool. So, uh, we're going to be looking at three simple truths out of this passage, but they're also three very important truths and things that we need to do with this passage. So, let's go ahead and let's read it. It's, um, we're going to start in verse 41. So, it's Luke 2, verse 41. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? 
did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity this morning to preach your word. God, I pray that, um, that you would use my words and let the, them be honoring and glorifying to your name and help us to get something from this passage today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today we're going to look at three separate groups in this passage. We're going to look through the eyes or the perspectives of three separate groups or characters, if you will, in this passage. The very first one is we're going to look at through the eyes of Jesus. Through the eyes of Jesus. Um, what we know about Jesus is that he was 12 years old at this time. So he was, he was a young boy. And something that's really cool about that is not only was he just a young boy, but we know that he was also fully God. All right? Because um, if you learn, learn about anything in theology, you read through Scripture, um, there's this word, a theological word called the hypostatic union. And it basically means that Jesus is 100% God. But he is also 100% man. So he's fully God and he's fully human. Well, if he's 12 years old and he's fully human, that means that he's fully boy. He's fully 12-year-old boy. So he would have had the same uh, desires as most 12-year-old boys would at that age, like going outside and playing in the dirt and climbing trees and getting your knees all skint up. Um, or maybe even tossing around the old camel hide with your buddies. Maybe he was into sports. I mean, we don't really know. We don't know that much about that period of his life. But we do know if he was fully human, he would have had the same desires that other boys his age would have. Um, the, the cool thing is that him being fully God means that he was not a sinner. So all the parents are like, yes, look to Jesus as your example. He is your example. You can be all boy. That's fine. But you need to be, look to Jesus and do not sin. So we know this about him, but something that's very cool about this is that even though Jesus was 12 years old, he knew that he had a mission in life, and he knew what was important. He knew that he needed to be in his father's house. That is an incredible thing for a 12-year-old boy just to grasp at that age, that I need to be at church, not because it's a cool place for me to go uh, uh, have fun with my friends, but like I, I want to get the message. I want to learn from those teaching the message to me and teaching God's word because there's something in that that I need to be connected to God with, and Jesus knew that. I have a question to you guys. See, Jesus was devoted to being in God's house. Are you devoted to being in God's house? Are you devoted to being in God's house? I want to look at a, a scripture very quickly, um, in Hebrews chapter 10. And it's Hebrews uh, chapter 10, starting with verse 24. And it says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together. There's an importance of us meeting together in God's house. Now, before I go any further, I, I want to make a little disclaimer here. I'm not trying to make a statement during this COVID time. Okay, that's not my goal here. Um, yeah, we went through a weird couple months there where we just couldn't meet in our normal way. And some people still, that's fine. If you're not wanting to come back and meet in person, that's cool. That's why we have the YouTube videos. That's why we try to accommodate all of that. That's fine. So that's not what I'm making a statement here. But what I am saying, it is, it is important to still meet. There's something there to being in God's house that Jesus understood. See, the church, yeah, for him it was the temple at that point, a little bit different. But for us, the church, um, there's something special when we come here together and we gather and we meet. You know, it, it's not just that you get to check off your religious status. I went to church for the week and I'm good. You know, it's more than that. It's more than just the religious thing to do. You know, the church is more than just a business that you know, it operates and you, you come and you manage things and you do things and people are here during the week and it, it's more than that. The church is a living organism. It is alive. It is alive and it's breathing. And not only that, the church people, it, it's, it's the body of Christ, but it's the family of God. And so there's something special when you step foot into the presence of the family of God. It may, it may not even be on a Sunday morning, just gathering together as the church body, opening God's word and meeting together. There's something special in that. It's healthy. It's healthy for your soul. It's healthy for your mind. You're, you're with people. You're communing. Uh, you're having fellowship. There's something healthy to that, and it's necessary, and it's good. And Jesus understood this. He, he understood that in his particular instance, like, they lived in Nazareth. And going to Jerusalem, that's where the temple of God was. You know, things were a little bit different back then. You know, they didn't have churches all over the place, but they had the, the temple in Jerusalem. And he knew how important it was for him to meet with those people and to, um, to learn about God. So my question to you guys is, are you devoted to being in God's house? Are you devoted to being in God's house? The next group of people that we're going to look at is, um, we're going to look at this passage through the eyes of the rabbis. Through the eyes of the rabbis. Now, rabbis, they were pretty cool dudes. All right? They were very well educated. Um, they, they did a lot of different schooling and studying in order to get to the position that they were in. They knew the Old Testament inside and out. That was their scripture at that time. And the majority of them probably had a lot of it memorized. If not whole books of the Bible, they may have had the whole Old Testament Scripture memorized. And so these were very well-educated men. Um, they knew what they were talking about. They were very knowledgeable when it came to Scripture. But then here comes 12-year-old Jesus coming up on the scene, and he begins asking them questions and um, I'm sure at that point, they would have had a little bit of a pride or ego trip happen. You know, who is this 12-year-old boy to come up in here and talk to us like he's one of us, like he understands the Scripture the way we have? We have studied this our whole life. We have years of experience, and now this 12-year-old boy is asking questions 
not only asking questions, but like giving us answers to different things. Now, I know if that had been me in that position, I probably would have had a little bit of a pride or ego trip as well. Um, in, in, uh, in Fuel, when we're doing our student ministry here, um, I love for the teens to ask questions. I love it any time that they, they ask a question about something that's going on, a scripture that we're reading. I love for that to happen because it means they're listening. It means that they're comprehending what is being taught. It means that they're thinking through. And it means more than likely God's doing something in their heart. I love that. But then there are some times that you get the questions and you just go, there's no such thing as a stupid question. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Remember this, there's no such thing as a stupid question. So you get this end of the, of the spectrum, and you're like, okay, I just got to go with it. I'm glad they're asking it, but I don't know why they're asking it. But then sometimes you get this end of the spectrum, and you get a question that blows you away. And you're like, wow, how do you even comprehend this much? How do you even arrive to this at this point in your thinking, and now I've got to answer. <laughs> I've got to answer you now. I remember one time I was teaching, I think I was teaching through uh, the book of Job, or a, a message out of Job, and Audrey Miller, she pipes up, middle of the lesson, and she goes, who are the sons of God in this passage? And I went, uh, hang on. Uh, and I, I couldn't answer her. And I said, you know what? I want to give you a certain answer, but I'm not 100% on this answer, so let me take some time to study up this question, and I will get back to you as soon as I get the answer. And so later on that week, I did. They're angels, just so you know. But she, she asked that question. I was like, I was completely unprepared for that question, and it kind of stumped me up a little bit. It was a little bit embarrassing, actually, because I couldn't just give her the question, or the answer to the question. I'm sure the rabbis at this point they had a little bit of that pride or ego trip happening. However, there was something else really cool that happened as Jesus was talking. Go back to that verse in Luke. Um, looking at verse uh, th- 46, it says, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. They were amazed at his words. I ask you guys, are you amazed at the words of Jesus Christ? Are you amazed at the words of Jesus Christ? Because here's the thing. Jesus' words, they're not just words. They're not even just truth. They're words that bring life. They're words that bring life. We're going to look at a a scripture passage um, in John, chapter 6. And it says this, in John 6, verse 63. It says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This is Jesus talking here. Not as a 12-year-old boy, as a 30, 33, however old he was. During his, during his ministry. Um, <clears throat> something that's really cool about that particular passage, just to give you a little context there, is at this point Jesus is in the synagogue of Capernaum. 
and he's talking to the Jews, and he's talking to his multiple disciples. At this point, there are actually more than just 12 disciples. There was a whole bunch of disciples there. And he's talking to them, and he is saying some very interesting and hard-to-swallow things. And he's talking about how he's the bread of life. The Jews are coming back saying, like, wait, we know the bread of heaven, and that, that was the manna, you know, back in the wilderness that our forefathers ate of. But you're saying you are the bread of life. Like, isn't that blasphemy? And he's saying these things, and then Jesus comes back to them, and he says, you know, actually, um, if you were to abide in me, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Now, I will admit, if someone just came up to me and said, if you want to be with my crew, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, I'd be a little bit like, whoa, that's weird. That's really weird. So at this point, everyone's like, I, I, don't, I don't understand this, but Jesus is getting at a, a deeper spiritual truth here. And he's using this analogy that's going back, I mean, you, you know, communion, you have the, the bread, which is the body of Christ, and you have the cup, the, which represents the blood of Christ. And it's that whole idea of that sacrifice that Jesus, at this point, is going to make. And so the people at, at this point, they're, they're going, that's just, that's, that's crazy, I don't understand this. And actually, his disciples walk away from him because the words are too hard for them to fathom and to trust. And he actually turns to all the disciples that walked away. He turns to the 12 that stayed there, and he said, do you want to leave as well? And Peter, of all people, piped up because, you know, Peter pipes up a lot. (laughs) Peter pipes up, and he says, Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? They understood that Jesus' words, it was more than just a simple truth. It was more than just a simple saying. Jesus' words have life to them. Are you amazed at Jesus' word? When you read what he says in Scripture, uh, the words in red, when you read what it said, talks about him in, the, in, in um, the Gospels, really all throughout Scripture, are you amazed at the word of God? Are you amazed at Jesus' word? I would encourage you, if you're not, you need to be. <laughs> if you're not, you need to be. Because these words, they hold something more than just the truth. It is life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting everlasting life. That's straight from the mouth of Jesus. His words have life. His words have life. So another group that we're going to look at in this passage is none other than, we're going to look at it through the eyes of Mary and Joseph. The eyes of Mary and Joseph. Now, something we know about Mary and Joseph is this. According to this passage, they lost Jesus. They lost Jesus. You had one job, to raise this guy and be his parents, and you lost him. All right, now, let's, we'll, we'll give them a little bit of slack here. Any parents in the room, have you ever lost your kids before? Go ahead, raise your hands. There's no shame. All right. You've lost them before. It's okay. Now, I know I can proudly say I have never lost my daughter ever before. Even if she's only nine months old. Put that to the side. I've never lost, but I'm sure at some point I will. 
because <laughs> that's just the way kids are. They, they, they get out of your sight. They do things. You're on the move, and you're like, oh, where are they? So we'll give them a little, a little slack there, Mary and Joseph. However, however, look at this. In verse uh, 43, it says this, And when the feast was ended, um, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. They went a day's journey without even knowing that Jesus was with them. All right, that's like negligence, right? (laughs) They went a whole day without even knowing Jesus was with them. Now, we'll pause again. We'll give them a little more slack. Because something that, that I know that I've read before or heard before is that when, um, during this time, when they would go on these pilgrimages to Jerusalem, they would go in this huge group, all right? And the way they would travel, they would have the women up front, all, all the moms and the grandmas and all the women up front, and the kids would be kind of in the middle, and then the, the, um, the men would be in the rear, kind of bringing up the rear for protection and make sure they have their eyes on everything. So Jesus would not have been, like, at their side as they're traveling. You know, okay, so we can give him a little bit of slack there. All right, he would have been in the group. They would have just assumed that he was obedient little Jesus, would have gone with the group, and would have been right there. Okay, we'll give him a little slack. However, let's look back at this. In verse, yeah, we'll go back to verse uh, 44. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. All right, now, the way I read that, you know, it says that they, they, they lost him, they went a day's journey, they had to come back, and then after three days, they found him in the temple. The way I read that is they searched for him for three days in Jerusalem. So picture this. All right, going back to Nazareth, Nazareth, we're on our trip. Hey, where's Jesus? Oh, I don't know. I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. I thought he was with you. Uh, well, let's go check over here. Is he, no, he's not over there. Uh, where is he? Well, he must be in Jerusalem. All right, day one. Day two, going back to Jerusalem because it's a day's journey. Get to Jerusalem. We search for him. Day three, day four, day five. We find him. That is five days that Jesus was out of their sight. Five days. Now, we could also maybe give Mary and Joseph a little more slack here, a little bit more, because it does say, and after three days they found, we we can say that maybe it was a, a day out, a day back, and then a day looking for him, so three days. All right, we'll give him a little, little slack. So three days total. Still, that's a full day that they looked for Jesus. Now, it doesn't tell us where they looked, but I can just imagine. If it took them, if it took them a whole day, they didn't go right to the, the spot that he, they were supposed to, or where he was. They were looking in the marketplace. They were looking in the courtyard. They were looking in the vineyards. They were looking all over the place for Jesus, and they could not find him. Finally, they did find him. Now, I have a question to you guys. Have you ever lost Jesus? Have you ever lost Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about salvation, because we know from Scripture that once you are saved, 
You are in, covered in the blood of, of Christ. Nothing can pluck you out of the Father's hand. You, you, you are sealed. But your relationship with him and that sweetness that we all should have with our relationship with Christ, there are things that happen that we can lose Jesus. Now, different things that, that may happen, um, unconfessed sin can keep us from having that sweet relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we have sin in our heart and we're harboring it and we're, we're not willing to accept the fact that we have sinned and ask for forgiveness. And it separates us. It separates our relationship with him. But you know, something else that can cause us to lose Jesus, and I bet we all can raise our hands to this one, is busyness. Busyness. We get so caught up in everything that we have to do. We, you know, 7 a.m. in the morning, 6 a.m. every time you wake up, you hit the ground running and go, 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 go. And you don't have time to read your Bible. You don't have time to stop and pray. You don't have time to cultivate that relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, it's a reality. We're busy people. We're busy people. And we've got to figure out how to, how to find that time. So, so that's the second one. But then there's a third reason, that we, or a third way that we can lose Jesus. And it's through all the distractions that we have in this world. Or you could even say it this way, laziness. You know, I would like to say my biggest reason for losing Jesus is because I'm busy, busy, busy all the time. But more often than not, it's because I'm allowing the distractions of the world to get into my life. And I may even say, well, I was just busy today. I couldn't read my Bible. I couldn't stop and pray. I, I, I was just because I was busy. But I wasn't busy doing anything productive. I was busy on Facebook, right? I was busy watching TV. I was busy doing something that I could have at least taken that 10, 20, 30 minutes, whatever, to dive into my relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have these things that can separate us from Jesus. Now, what happens often is we get to that point and we recognize that something is not right in my heart. Now, the, the truth is, is that my relationship with Christ is not, is not good because I've not been spending time the way I need to in my relationship with Christ. I've lost him. But we get to that point when we realize that, oh, this isn't good. You know, we, we don't have that peace or that, um, uh, that joy that he gives us. There's something that's not right. Oftentimes what happens is we, like Mary and Joseph, we freak out. <laughs> and we go, oh, what's going on? What's going on? And then, instead of going to the right place to find him, we search for Jesus in all the wrong places. Mary and Joseph, they went, uh, we don't know all where they went, but they must have gone to, different, to the wrong places before they ended up in the temple where Jesus was. And we search for him in all the wrong places. Now, some people, they may go to the bottle to find that satisfaction of Jesus that Jesus is supposed to fulfill but they find it in the bottle. Some people may go to it looking at things online that they shouldn't because that satisfies something in their heart that they think it should. It, it's really Jesus should be satisfying that, but they're looking other places. Some people find it in money and their finances, and they think this is what's satisfying that place in my heart. Or maybe it's something super, super simple. Those were kind of the big ones. Maybe it's something simple. Maybe it's just it's sports. 
or maybe it's playing video games. Yeah, you can tell I'm do a lot of stuff with the teens, the students. I don't know if we have any adults that play video games in the room. Yep, yep, cool. Every once in a while, I'll, I will as well. And you let those things distract you and fulfill that place that Jesus should be fulfilling in your heart. If you've ever gotten to that place where you feel like you have lost Jesus, I want you to know he's right where you left him. He's right here. He's in his word. Open it up. You will find him. I can guarantee you that. Go, go to him in prayer. Pray to him as much as you can. He will fulfill whatever it is that you're missing. He will fulfill that because whatever it is that you are missing, you're trying to fill this God-sized hole that only God can fill. Now, I say this too. Um, we get to this point, and I have to ask the question, how do you keep yourself from losing Jesus? You know, we, we, we've come to this point, and we know that it's something that is possible. We know that we, our relationship with Christ, we can have some separation there. We can um, uh, need to, to work on that relationship, but how do you keep from losing him? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 and see what it says. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You all probably know this by heart. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now get this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How do you keep from losing Jesus? You keep your eyes fixed on him. You keep your eyes focused on him. And during this race, there's more than just having endurance in the race. You've got to keep your, your eyes on the goal. You've got to keep your eyes on the goal. I learned something uh, about a week or two while I was mowing. That Really, it, 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 um, it's a truth or an, an illustration that I can use here. Um, I enjoy mowing my yard. Like, I just, there's just something about it. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy making the yard look nice, and um, I like to clean, crisp, straight lines. You know, you have, like, the, the dark line, and the light line, and the dark line, and the light line, and, and I just love that look for my yard. But something that I don't like is for those lines to be all back and forth. And what I used to do for the longest time, it, I don't have one of the special uh, zero-turn mowers where you can, you know, get lined up just perfectly. I've got the old lawn tractor that you have to do like a 10-point turn just to get it right, and then you're set, and then you can go. But something that I was doing for the longest time is I would watch that tire and make sure that it was right at the line where the tall grass is and the short grass to make sure I keep a good straight line. And then I'd look back behind me, and it looks like this. I'm like, what in the world? Well, I learned something. If you keep your eyes focused on a focal point, let that be your goal, you will have a straight path every single time. I tried it this past weekend to make sure that I wasn't lying to you while I'm preaching. I, my yard looks good. It's all nice and straight. I tried it. The same goes for our spiritual lives. When we keep our eyes focused and fixed on Jesus, our path is straight. No matter what comes our way, 
my yard, I've got a bunch of hills and bumps and holes, and it's constantly knocking me around while I'm trying to mow. And I look like I'm on like some bucking bronco or something as I'm just mowing my yard. That's just the way it is. But you know what? In our Christian lives, we are going to have those types of roads. They're going to be rocky. They're going to be hard. They're gonna, we're going to have struggles. We're going to have trials. But if we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, our path is going to be straight every single time. So I run back through as I wrap this up. I ask you these questions again. Like Jesus... Are you devoted to being in God's house, meeting with his people, soaking in his message? Like the rabbis, the teachers that were in the temple, are you, um, um, well, I lost my train of thought there. Wow. Are you amazed at his words? Are you amazed at the words of Jesus that he has spoken that bring life into your own life? And unlike Mary and Joseph, are you keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus so that you don't lose him? Let's pray. Dear my Father, Lord, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. God, I thank you for this church. And God, I pray that you would just use this message today however you see fit. God, I pray that... um, that the people here would continue to grow in their relationship with you. They would have a better understanding of you and your word. And God, I pray that you would just bless us this week as we go out and, uh, and we live the life that you have called us to live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So at this point, as Jonathan plays, you can, you can rise and we're going to sing. And this is really cool. There's the three things we talked about today. We can do that right now. We're meeting together. In God's house, we're about to sing about how amazing God is, and we're going to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. So let's do that now.